Okay, as far as the plan for the rest of the class goes, um, I'm going to teach, finish Revelation 16 today, and then my plan is to cover a lot of Revelation 17 on Wednesday, and after that, Brother Mitch is going to come back and he's going to pretty much take the class the rest of the way, with the exception being the last two classes where we plan uh, for me to come back and do two classes of review for what we studied the quarter. Uh, so I'm going to study, uh, I'm going to lead the study today, lead the study Wednesday. <coughs> Mitch will come back uh, on Sunday, and we're going to be in Alaska with a lot cooler weather. We're getting out the desert. <laughs> so we'll be in Alaska, Lord willing, this time next Sunday. Uh, so uh, I, I, I got I to gotta cool off a little bit. It's a little too hot right now. So let's go ahead and, and jump into the class. Remember, remember the three series, the three series of seven, which pretty much dominate. Let's see if this thing goes. Let me come on now. Don't do this to me. Okay, there we go. The three series of seven. This thing just don't like me. I'm telling you. You know, it's Brian and have no problems. I always got problems with this thing for some reason. I don't know what's going on. It's probably, it definitely has to be me. The three series of seven that dominate the book. You got the seven seals. Tell you the basic story of the book. Revelation 5 and 6. You got the seven trumpets, the warning judgments. Revelation 8 and 9. And where we're at right now, we're in the final series of seven. We're in the seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out, and that's here in Revelation 16. Now, since it's been a week since we've been able to study this very uh, important chapter, let's rehearse just a little bit. Let's, let's rehearse just a little bit what we studied in verses 1 through 12. If you remember, in, in verse uh, number 1, verse number 1, we see the bowls beginning to be poured out. And the first four bowls, point three there, the first four bowls of God's wrath seem to have to do with natural calamities. They affect the earth, the sea, the rivers, and the sun. Now these judgments are the same ones as we found where else in the book. You remember? These are the same judgments you find somewhere else in the book. 8-9, which were what in 8-9? That's the seven, not the seals, the, one, the next ones. The trumpets, these are the same as the seven trumpets. The only difference is with these, even though they're the same, this time there's no what? There's a big difference here. They're the same in nature, but there's a big difference. There's no what this time? There's no third of stuff. Which means what? There's no third this time. What does that mean? This is a full judgment. This is God's complete judgment. That is intentional by the Apostle John. Now, with the next few points, look at point four. We also saw in these verses we studied that God's judgment is announced to be righteous and true. This means that God is writing what he's doing here. God is just. He is doing the right thing. These people had time to repent. They refused to repent. Now, part of this judgment had to do with God avenging and vindicating who? His people. The prophets, the preachers, all the Christians who had suffered during this time. You got to go back to the fifth seal. 
Now this does take you back to the seals here. The fifth seal, which was found in Revelation 6, and that was the souls under the altar crying out, How long, how long, Lord, till you avenge us? And the Lord tells them to wait. He's going to do it in his time. Well, the time is now. God is avenging his people now. He's pouring out his bowls of wrath now. So this connects you back to the fifth seal. God is avenging and vindicating his people. Now, the, the next point we had was the sixth point. And how even after this, even after God is pouring out a complete and full judgment on, on the enemies of his people, the people still don't repent. They still don't turn away from their sins. And, and in fact, this is the reason, ultimately, why God is pouring out the bowls in the first place. It's because he gave them time. He gave them an opportunity. They refused to repent. Time is up. And so the first four judgments seem to have to do with natural calamities. God is impacting the earth in some way, and the people are suffering on the earth. Okay, that's the point. That's the main point there. When you go to the next part here, when you look at the fifth bowl, the sixth bowl, remember we said on those things that the fifth bowl is poured out on the beast's kingdom, um, it becomes dark. And when the fifth bowl is poured out, I'm sorry, the beast's kingdom becomes darkened, and men experience much pain. And there's a lot of debate and speculation as to what that means exactly. We said maybe this represents the same thing we concluded with uh, the fifth trumpet and how this may be a reference to the widespread evil and corruptness throughout the empire and how men are suffering because of their own sins. They're wallowing in their own sins. Regardless of how you conclude this, what conclusion you make about this, the point is the same. People are suffering. Men refuse to repent. Men refuse to repent. And then the sixth bowl, when it's poured out, you have the, the great river Euphrates being dried up and an army from the east is able to come through. We said that the fifth bowl and the sixth bowl represent the same thing as the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet. That is, God is bringing the empire down from internal problems and external problems. Internal corruption, external problems. So you have these different ways God is working, I believe, providentially to bring down the empire. I think that's the, that's the main thing to see. If you don't remember anything else from this, if you don't remember all the details, just remember that these bowls have to do with God providentially bringing down the enemies of his people. He's bringing them down from within and from without. That's how he's doing it. That's the point. And so the first 12 verses are important. The, the bowls are being poured out. God's wrath is being poured out. You don't want to be on the end or the receiving end of God's wrath. This is not good. Now let's go to Revelation 16. Let's start with verse 13. Okay, we've looked at the first 12 verses. We looked at the first six bowls being poured out. Verse 13 says, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, Three unclean spirits like, like frogs. For they are spirits of, spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is he, or blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called 
Harmagon or Harmageddon. Let me say that right. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and peals and, and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because this plague was extremely severe. Do you remember anywhere else in the Bible where uh, there was a plague of hail? There was Egypt. Now that happened literally, but here you have, and you see some of the similarities in language here. Here you have that event being described symbolically but to describe the same thing, judgment. It's God's judgment. So I want you to take a moment to process all of this. Don't answer out loud just yet. Just think about these questions I'm going to ask you. Don't answer out loud. Just think about these questions. What do you think all of this means? What is all of this talking about? What are we to make with all of this very complex and confusing language? What are we to make of, this, of these spirits of frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon? and the beast and the false prophet. What are we to make of this gathering to take place at Armageddon? What are we to make of Babylon being split into three parts? What are we to do with all this language that maybe we're not as familiar with? This doesn't read like Romans. It doesn't read like 1 Corinthians. It doesn't read like the Gospels, much of the Gospels even. What are we to do with all of this perplexing stuff found in these verses. Well, before we seek to answer those questions, we need to make sure we go back and get our heads on straight. We need to go back to Revelation 1. We need to go back to Revelation 1. We need to go back to those guideposts. There's a reason why God says the things that he says in Revelation 1. He knows, he knows that we would go to a chapter like this and mess it up if he didn't warn us of some things ahead of time. And so whatever we say, about what's going on in Revelation 16, it has to tie back to Revel Revelation 1. It has to tie to Revelation 1 in verse 1, where it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whatever we say about Revelation 16, it has to tie to Jesus in some way. It has to be in some way be a revelation of Jesus. It has to be telling us something about Jesus. It has to in some way tie to Revelation 1 in verse 4 where John is writing to the seven churches of Asia. It has to be something connected to them. It has to be something that's going to impact them. It has to connect back to Revelation 1 and verse 1 again, where John says this information was communicated by his angel. Some of your translation used the word signified. It was signified by his angel to his bondservant John. This is a signified book. It is an apocalyptic book. It is a book of signs and symbols. That's what's going on in Revelation 16 at the highest level. And it has to tie back to Revelation 1 and verse 1 again, where it says these things must what? 
soon take place. They have to soon take place. The end of verse 3 says, for the time is at hand or near. Whatever we say about Revelation 16, it had to come soon. It had to come near from the perspective of the audience of verse 4, the seven churches of Asia. This stuff has already happened. It's not coming in the future from our perspective. It's coming in the future from the perspective of these people. That's what's going on there. So, we, so whatever we say about it, we got to keep those things in mind. And so what is the Bible trying to communicate to us in these verses? Well, we, gotta, we really should have started reading. I apologize for this. It really connects back to verse 12. Really need to start with verse 12. Okay, this is where verses and chapter breaks kind of hurt us a little bit. In Revelation 16, remember verse 12 talks about the sixth angel. The sixth angel, when he poured out his bowl, it, it dried up the Euphrates and prepared a way for an army from the east to come in, right? So you already have the idea of battle taking place, army, an invading army. This would lead, according to the next verse, to the gathering, a gathering of armies and a place in Hebrew called Har-Megedon, but you may have heard it called Armageddon, right? You're probably more familiar with Armageddon. This name, Har-Megedon, or Armageddon, literally means Mount Megedon. Mount Megedon, or maybe you've heard it called this, Mount Megiddo. Megiddo. So let me ask you this. Have you ever heard, religiously speaking, just, re just generally religiously speaking, I don't want you to explain to me what you think it means yet. I just want to know, have you ever heard of the Battle of Armageddon before? You ever heard that? People talk about that before? If you've heard that before, and don't tell me what you think this means just yet, I just want to know what have you heard maybe other people say or what did you believe at one time? What have you heard people say? And raise your hand on this because I want to get some, some kind of order on this. Uh, what have you heard people say about the Battle of Armageddon? Brother Lance. End of the world. Usually when people think of Armageddon, in fact, there was a movie with Bruce Willis in it called about a meteor, a meteor about to hit planet Earth, and that was supposed to be the end of the world, Armageddon. So that's typically what people associate Armageddon with, the end of the world. Anyone else? What else has anyone else heard anything about Armageddon before besides the end of the world? Yes, ma'am, Nicole. Yes, yes, very good. That's exactly right. Some people believe that Armageddon is when Jesus is going to come back with his army and there's going to be a battle that takes place, a battle on the earth even. that's going to take place between the army of Jesus and the army of evil. That's, a, that's another thing people believe. Brother Don, yes, sir. I keep thinking of the Pentecostal view portrayed in late great planet Earth. A big battle between the United States and Russia. Yeah. Yes, that's the physical aspect of it. You know, and, and you know, you got it's, it's the U.S. and it's and it's Russia and and this 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 big physical war taking place that marks the coming of Jesus to put an end to all of it. Uh, that's very good. Anybody else have something? Maybe you heard. I don't want to overlook you. Anyone else have something you heard about Armageddon before? Those are all good thoughts. 
You probably got about 50 of them, yeah. All right, so I like everything y'all said there. It's very good. It's very good because that's the same stuff I've heard. So let me do my best to try to simplify this just a little bit. Let's simplify what's the Holy Spirit trying to say here. Again, Armageddon literally means hill or mount of Megiddo, which is in a real place. It's in the valley of Jezreel and Israel. A number of battles were fought here in the Old Testament. Did you know that? Now, if you didn't know that, can you, can you, can you list from your Old Testament study, someone give me one battle from the Old Testament that was fought, fought at Mount Megiddo. Yes, Josiah actually defeated Pharaoh Necho and Mount Megiddo. Anyone else got one? Yes, yes. You said Joshua defeated uh, the Canaanites. There was, he actually defeated the king of Megiddo. Uh, anyone else got another one maybe? You got Joshua, you got Josiah. There are several battles fought at Megiddo, and that's the point of what's going on here. This is a battlefield in the Old Testament. A lot of battles were fought here. You got Barak, let me go back, I'm sorry. Barak and Deborah, they fought against the Canaanites in Mount Megiddo. Yes, sir, Brother Mitch. That's Joshua 24. That's absolutely right. That's a very critical part of Israel, which are, that Jezreel Valley. That's a very critical part. You know, the kings uh, definitely wanted to control that part. A lot of trade route, a lot of trade routes went through there. Um, and when you looked at where people like King Ahab, and I've seen this with my own eyes, where King Ahab built his palace. It was in the valley of Jezreel, and the kings always wanted to build their palaces elevated, very high up. Why? You want to see everything coming. You want to see everything coming. So you have Barak and Deborah. They fought the Canaanites, defeated the Canaanites with the help of God at Mount Megiddo. Brother Gary said Pharaoh Necho and Josiah, they battled in Megiddo. King Ahaziah in 2 Kings 9.27 is killed at Mount Megiddo. Joshua and the Israelites, like Sister Margie said, defeated the king of Megiddo. Joshua 12, 21. The point is this. The point is, there are a lot of battles that took place here in the Old Testament. This is a real place where real battles, took, where real battles occurred. Now I'm going to put it on a map here for you so you can kind of see uh, what's going on here. Uh, so you got Megiddo here. Notice how here Jerusalem is the, is the most important city in Israel. It's, it's the capital city. Megiddo is several miles northwest of, of Jerusalem. And then as far as Jesus, where Jesus did about 70% of his ministry, which is in Galilee, Megiddo is to the, is to the southwest of, uh, of Galilee. So it's a real place. This is what I'm just trying to show you. It's a real place that you can visit that you can visit today. Here's a, even hopefully a better map to kind of show you where it is there. You got the, the plain of Jezreel, the Jezreel Valley here. And this is where it is in, 
in comparison to the rest of important cities uh, in Israel. Now, I was able, I was able to actually travel to Israel back in 2015, and I was able to visit Megiddo. So I've been to Megiddo before. And Megiddo is still a very popular site in Israel. It's a very popular site. Many people gather at Megiddo to this day. They make special trips to Israel to go to Megiddo because, like Nicole said, they believe that's going to be the place where Jesus comes back. They say he's going to come back here to Megiddo. I went through all my pictures, and I, couldn't, I, I thought I had took, took, took some pictures of this, and I, I may have, I just can't find them. But when I was at the top of Megiddo, I saw something very interesting and kind of goes to what you were saying. We went up there and we saw a big Pentecostal group, okay? And I think they had robes on and things, maybe about a hundred of them or so. And they were just shouting loud with their hands up and singing and just doing all kind of things because they believe this is where the Lord is going to come back. He's going to come back to Megiddo. And you know why they believe that? Because of a misinterpretation of Revelation 16. That's why they believe that. So a lot of people go to Megiddo. A lot of people believe, especially premillennialists, believe that this is where the Lord is going to come back. Here's a picture. This next picture here is of the Jezreel Valley from Megiddo. So I'm taking this from the top of Megiddo. This is a picture of the Jezreel Valley. So all of this is important because you have people who believe the Lord's going to come back here, but they're wrong. They're wrong in their belief of that. Listen carefully. This gathering that we read about in Revelation 16 at Megiddo is not literally coming in the future, in our future. It did, not, it did not even literally come in the future from the first century Christians' perspective. It did not literally take place in Megiddo, okay? This does not literally take place in Megiddo. Remember, signified. This is all signs and symbols. This battle at Megiddo, from our perspective, has already occurred. And it, it did not occur literally at Megiddo, but it occur, occurred in a spiritual sense. It occurred very soon from the perspective of the early Christians. And so let's go through this and let's see what happens here. Go back to verse 13. Verse 13 talks about three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouths of the beast, the dragon, and the false prophet. Remember, we talked about what all those things represent. They basically represent Satan and his henchmen. Satan, and we've made the point that it's likely this is a reference to the Roman Empire. Satan and the corrupt aspects of Rome. Satan and, and the political power of Rome and the emperor worship system. Okay, you have frogs coming out of their mouths. These are also called spirit demons or the spirits of demons. They are deceptive, these spirits. And they're able to persuade rulers, the text says, to make an allegiance with the dragon, to make an allegiance with the false prophet and, 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 the, and the beast. 
Now, all of these beings, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, all of these beings are preparing to go to battle. Do you see that in the text? They're going to battle. They're going to battle against God. They're going to battle against God and his people. It is here in the, in this, in the book of Revelation, here in the text, where we clearly see that none of this is to be taken literal. Let me explain. If we're going to take or if we're going to literalize the battle of Armageddon, like so many people want to do, then you know what else we got to literalize? We got to literalize these frogs. What are you going to do with the frogs? Are we going to say that frogs are literally going to come out of the mouth of a dragon? Do we want to say that? You're going to be consistent. It's exactly what you have to say. If you're going to literalize the battle itself, then you've got to literalize the frogs. Clearly, all of this symbolic language is being used just to make a significant point. It's being used to talk about a war, but not a physical war, a spiritual war. A spiritual war. This is a spiritual war. That's what Armageddon is all about. It is about a war that God's people couldn't see with the physical eye. That's what it's about. John is using a battlefield from the Old Testament to help paint the picture of a spiritual battle taking place behind the scenes, taking place between good and evil. If you were a first century Christian and you read about Armageddon or the Valley of Megiddo, you would immediately think about war. And if you thought about what John said in the beginning of the book, you would immediately understand that it was a spiritual war, not a physical war. Armageddon is about a spiritual war taking place at this time. John is letting the Christians know that there is stuff going on behind the spiritual curtain. There's stuff going on that they can't see. They may feel like they're getting beaten down at this time, but the war is going on. The war is going on. Spiritual forces are fighting. Jesus is fighting for them. He's going to defeat their enemies. He's going to bring judgment on their enemies. In fact, notice how verse 15 says that his judgment that he's going to bring upon their enemies is going to be like the coming of a what? Look at verse 15. It's going to be like the coming of a what? Verse 15. What does it say? Oh, let's well, just say it. I know that makes us uncomfortable because when we think of thief, we, we think about the end of the world. No, that's not the only time the Bible uses that. Is using it here too. Jesus coming in judgment on these people is going to be like a thief. Let's just say what the text says. That's what the text says. It's going to be like a thief. It's going to be like a thief. And, and I understand the Bible uses that language thief in the night to talk about his second coming. I get that. You get that. But this was going to be like one too. That's what the text says. His coming in judgment in this battle, it's going to be like a thief. And so verse 15 says, and I'll say this and then I'll pause and let you, say so, let you make some comments here. But verse 15 says that because he's going to come in judgment upon these people like a thief, they needed to be found a certain way. How did they need to be found according to verse 15? They needed to be clothed. Somebody else say something? And awake. So that's the idea of being faithful. Would you agree with that? They need to be faithful. They need to be on the right side of the battle. They needed to be spiritually awake. And they needed to be spiritually dressed. 
Does that remind you of anything else we've studied in Revelation? Ha <laughs> ha Do you remember where in the letter to the churches where, where you find that same idea? Does anybody remember? Because go ahead and turn back there to the letters to the, to the churches. I will, I'll, I'll give you just a little hint. It's in Revelation 2 or 3. I'll just tell you that much. Uh, do you remember where Jesus used that same language to talk about coming like a thief and to talk about how because I'm coming like a thief, you need to be spiritually dressed and spiritually awake. Which church was it? It was Sardis. Look back at Revelation 3, verse 1. Revelation 3, verse 1. Brother Mitch led us in a class on this. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. So they were spiritually dead. Wake up. See that idea? Wake up, Jesus says. Spiritually wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So let's just stop right there. When you, when you go to Revelation 16, and it talks about this battle of, of Megiddo or Armageddon. And the Bible is saying that they needed to be spiritually awake and spiritually dressed. Notice how some of them were not that way at that time. They weren't ready. They were not where the Lord wanted them to be. You see that here in Revelation 3 with the church at Sardis. So remember what you have received and heard and kept it and repent. They needed to repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. There that is. And you would not know at what hour I will come to you. But I have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me and white for they are worthy. Spiritual attirement. You see that there? He who overcomes with us be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before my angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So going back to Revelation 16. Notice how Jesus says there's this battle going on. There's a spiritual battle taking place between good and evil. Jesus is bringing judgment, and he's going to bring a final judgment on these people. And the God's people need to make sure they were on the, on the right side of the battle. They need to make sure that they were spiritually dressed, that they were spiritually awake. If they were not, going back to Revelation 3, they were going to be in trouble too. So this is a very important time here for God's people. There's a war going on. It's a spiritual war, and it was taking place very soon from the perspective of the early Christians. The battle of Armageddon, a spiritual battle taking place between God and Satan, between God's army and Satan in Rome. That's what Armageddon is about in Revelation 16. That's what it's about there. So whenever you hear people say Armageddon is coming, I'm not saying blast them, just tell them they're dead wrong, even though it's tempting. But just know they're dead wrong. They, have it, they just got it wrong. They totally missed it. This happened 2,000 years ago. And God, God's cause prevailed. So let me pause there. I know some of y'all have some comments and things. I'll give you an opportunity. Brother Gary, go right ahead, sir. This was spiritual, but for the next 200 years, Rome was going to be severely oppressed from the outside of Rome. And some of the emperors were thinking that it's because the Christians weren't caving in to the true worship. And so they were being to the limit. 
Yes. This, these warnings here make a lot more sense when you see that. Yes. You know, that uh, God's telling them, don't cave into that no matter what. Yes. Uh, we have no idea what they're talking There's a lot of evidence to, to show that that was true. No, what you're saying there is a good point. I really like the part where you said the idea of the Christians not caving in. Because that's what God revealed, revealing this information was really designed to do. It was designed to motivate them to hang in there because he's telling them the outcome to the battle. He's letting them know there is a battle going on when you can't see. And when this is over, if you're not on my side, you're going, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. That's the whole point. So I really, I really like that, what you're saying there. And this idea even of you know, the more the other physical battles that would take place that would cripple Rome through the years. It is interesting how God is involved in that too, but providentially. And how many times in the Old Testament did we see God or can we read about God using heathen people and they don't even realize it, but they're being used to accomplish his will. He does that, he does that with Babylon when he uses Babylon to take the Jews into captivity. He does, he, he does that with Rome, ironically, to bring down the Jewish people in 70 AD. That, I really am just always amazed when I study God's providence because it's amazing for me to read about how God uses natural means, whether people know it or not, to accomplish his will. That shows me that God can do anything he wants at any time and in any way. Uh, so that's a good point. Anyway, Brother Dunn, go right ahead, sir. Yes. Here we're looking at an end time. You know, there, there's no more. There's no more escape which is going to be available. And so, what is necessary is to keep that same watchful eye as to what's happening, especially as you are living according to what Jesus said, rather than what's going on in the world around you. Because we're looking at a. It's not an end time event, but it is an end of life. Yes, the end of an empire. Things are yes. going to happen that is going to bring about multitudes of death and of the innocent who really need to be watchful and prepared. And this keeping your garments, you know, wash your garments. Right. They were red. Make them white. Make sure you keep them white and watch for what watch for your soul. And this idea so that you will not be found naked is the idea of This is all spiritual. No, that's good stuff, and I really like the contrast you made uh, in regards to Matthew 24 was clearly there were going to be some signs that would warn God's people to give them time to escape. But there are no signs here, not with this particular judgment. There's no signs. It's very similar to the final judgment in the sense that you got to just be ready. you got to be clothed at all times because I will come like a thief. It's the same idea. So that, that's very, very good. You really? We might need to pull that out again. Well, let, let me say some things about the last few verses, and then, and then we're going to wrap this up. I, I'm going to summarize verses 17 through 21, because I think that's the best way to treat those verses. In verse 17, so hopefully we, we got Armageddon down. If anything, just know it's already happened, and it was spiritual. The seventh angel pours out the final bowl. Now, this is the end here. There's no transitional anything here. 
The pouring out of this bowl is going to be detailed in the rest of the book. Remember I told you that all the enemies that were introduced, and they're all going to go down one by one, the harlot and the two beasts and the dragon. Well, that's the, that's the pouring out of the seventh bowl. And you're going to see them go down one by one beginning with 17. Now, that bowl represents the finishing, the, the finishing of Rome, Rome's complete demise. Verses 18 through 21, just listen to me carefully on this. Verses 18 through 21 of this text is Old Testament judgment language. This is Old Testament apocalyptic judgment language. Don't make the mistake of taking any of that literal. This is Old Testament judgment language. It's the same language you found in Revelation 6 with the sixth seal. When you go home today, go back and read Revelation 6 and the sixth seal. You're going to find the same language. So whatever we said about it there, it means it here. It's the same thing. It's the same language you find in Revelation 11 at the conclusion of the scene with the two witnesses. Remember we said the two witnesses? There you find the same exact stuff going on. Whatever it meant there, it means it here. It's the same idea. This is dramatic judgment language being used to communicate God sticking a fork in these people. That's all it is. God is using this dramatic language to just talk about, I'm sticking a fork in them. They are done. But don't make the mistake of literalizing it. It is just Old Testament judgment language. That's all it is. So, as we wrap this up, as we wrap this up, in the Bible, as we talk about Armageddon, I'm looking right here, okay? Armageddon, the Mount of Megiddo. This was a place where good went against evil. In Revelation, it is being used to refer to a decisive battle taking place against God and his people and Satan and his people. That's what that's being talked about. But I want to conclude by saying this, if you'll give me a minute. I've been showing you this slide quite a bit over the past few weeks, and it's appropriate to talk about it here. While the battle of Armageddon is over, and we know who won it, who won it? We're still standing. The church is continuing. The Lord won. While that battle is over, and it was over 2,000 years ago, I do think it's important that we understand that there is a spiritual battle still being waged. You understand that, right? And it's still got many of the same key players involved. There's God. There's his son, Jesus Christ. There's the Holy Spirit. And then there's Satan. There's Satan still roaming about as a roaring lion. But he's not using Rome, the empire, necessarily now. Who, what is he using now? Well, just look around. He's using all kinds of different things still to wage a war against God and his, and his people. So I want you to make that application. I want you to understand that even though the, the battle of Armageddon is over, we're still in a battle. There's a battle going on. It's spiritual. We can't see it, but it's taking place, and we got to make sure we stay on the right side of the battle. We can't get so wrapped up in this physical world that we don't put on our spiritual goggles and realize that there's spiritual forces in the heavenly places battling it out, and the same result's going to happen. God's going to win. He's going to win. But will we be on his side when it's all over? You know, we get so wrapped up with all these wars taking place in our world today and all the political stuff and all the stuff that's going on in this physical world that we stop, that we never stop and realize 
There's spiritual stuff going on. There's a spiritual battle taking place, and Satan is still trying to assault God's people. So will you just challenge yourself to do that for the next few days, at least the next few, a couple of weeks? Challenge yourself to wake up every day and just say, the spiritual battle's going on. The spiritual battle's going on, and I got to make sure I'm on the right side. And if you want to know what you need to win the spiritual battle, just read Ephesians 6. What's Ephesians 6? The armor of God. Put that on. Put all that on, because you're going to need it as you, wage, as you try to wage this war against Satan going on. That's going on. So, I, so the battle of Armageddon is over, but we're still battling, and we want to be on the right side of the battle. That's application, right? We can use that. So let's stop right there. Thank you for your comments today. We'll pick up with Revelation 17 on Wednesday, Lord willing. Thank you all so much. I appreciate it.